Hi there. I want to take a moment to express my gratitude to you. Thank you for being on this journey with us here at Healthcare for Humans. As we continue this work, I'm excited to share that as a clinician, you can now earn CME credits for every episode you listen to. Go to www.healthcareforhumans.org support to get access to CME credits for all past episodes. That's over 30 credits. And it's not just about credits. Join me also in co-creating an episode about a topic that matters to you. Because at its core, this is something we are doing together. I want you on here to help shape the conversation. Lastly, for non-clinicians out there, there are ways for you to engage too, and I'm eager to find meaningful ways to express my gratitude to you. Take a moment to visit www.healthcareforhumans.org support or just click the link on the show notes to find the right fit for you. Thank you again. And now back to the episode. Okay, you're talking to a Filipino-American who just got diagnosed with diabetes. What do you talk about when it comes to nutrition? Here's Devin, a community organizer for the Filipino-American community, talking about his personal experience. My primary care provider told me to cut down on rice, and I started laughing in his face so hard. And I was like, do you understand? There is a rice cooker on in my house 24 hours a day. I would say, what are the non-American foods or maybe processed foods that are consuming your diet? When I visit my relatives, what are the foods they're trying to force on me? Hi, I'm Dr. Raj Sundar, a family physician and a community organizer. You're listening to Healthcare for Humans, the show dedicated to educating you on how to care for culturally diverse communities so you can be a better healer. This is about everything that you wish you knew to really care for the person in front of you, not just a body system. Let's learn together. Welcome back, everyone. In our earlier conversation, in part one of this series with Devin, we talked about the historical identity of the Filipino community. Today, we're going to shift our focus to some of the most important aspects of community identity, nutrition, and cultural values. In this episode, Devin talks about the complexities of nutrition. Filipino cuisine, a blend of Spanish, Chinese, and U.S. influences. I mean, sometimes it's actually hard to talk about what Filipino food is with others, especially when it comes to healthcare setting. Devin will talk a little bit about this and help us understand what we can talk about other than cutting down rice. Yes, we're still having to tell people, stop just talking about cutting down rice. If you want to dig even deeper into this, listen to episode nine of this podcast. We talked to Dr. Obantika Waring in the context of the Indian community. But for the Filipino community, we're going to talk about nutrition. And then we're going to talk about cultural values, the foundational elements of what it means to be part of a community. Values like utang na loob. The essence of the word is in the obligation to appropriately repay someone who has done a favor. It's something even more complex like acceptance of suffering as a cultural value. And when I say acceptance of suffering, it's important to not quickly transition to blaming the community for potentially avoiding necessary medical care because of something they believe in. Because we have to remember, communities developed specific values as a way to survive and thrive in the context they were in. Listen to part one of this series where we talk about everything the Filipino community has been through. That's a question that I often think about. 
as a community evolves in a new context or place, how does one reevaluate deeply entrenched values that may no longer serve us effectively? It's crucial not to simplify these values as mere cultural problems, quote unquote, with a fix. The unburdening process becomes important as we reassess what once functioned as protective mechanisms for the community. It's all complex. But here's to starting that conversation. And here's Devin. Yeah. Okay. Anything else we should talk about here before we transition into two things? Diet, nutrition, and culture. I try to make this more fun than functional. I do think it's helpful for people to know just the general flavor profile and taste of Filipino food. The thing about Filipino food, just like the people, is it's a mix of so many different, I'll say, other kinds of food as well as native indigenous food. Because it's influenced by Spanish, Chinese, and the U.S. traditions. The base of it is often white rice. Fish is also a big part of uh, the primary protein in the diet. But as I said, since there's so much influence from all these different countries, the actual food of what is Filipino food is quite broad. Would you say that's true? It's very true. The range of food that I just had the past week was very wide. And to your point, region and generation make a big play into the diet. I went to my grandma's house on Saturday and because my grandpa left and then she was telling my grandpa, oh, Devin's coming over and I don't have anything to eat except like green beans and other kinds of vegetables. And my grandpa told her, oh, that's okay because Devin's Ilocano. Because Ilocanos are actually known as having a very high vegetable diet along with seafood as well. And then when I got there, the other dish that my grandma made before I arrived, it's very common in other parts of mainland, Luzon, Philippines. He made beef and pork. So beef and pork are very common in the middle parts of the Philippines. So she made something called bistec, which is onions, soy sauce, chopped beef chuck. And then instead of just green beans, she took ground pork and stir fried the green beans together to try to make up for only having vegetables. And all of that, the flavor profile itself is soy sauce, salt, and my other relatives unabashedly use MSG. Yeah. One time I walked into a different relative's house and I saw them sprinkling over our noodles this really large crystal. And I was like, what's that? They're like, oh, that's just glutamate, monosodium glutamate. And I was like, they call it glutamate. And I was like, and for years I didn't know glutamate was MSG. I was like, oh, that's what they've been putting. Other than that, I would say, yes, regardless of regional variety, a common flavor profile that exists throughout the Philippines is sour and bitter. So what makes food distinct across all of the Philippines is just the use of vinegar as a preservative was the norm. And as a result, bitter and sour flavors remain popular across regions. Things that we have 
traditional dishes like adobo, lumpia. Filipino adobo is not like Spanish or Latino adobo at all. They are unlike each other because ours is heavily based on soy sauce vinegar. I've gone to Latino restaurants and asked for adobo. I was like, whoa, this is not adobo. What's wrong with you? And they're like, what's wrong with you? (laughs) And that is where Filipinos are not Latinos. And then, but we are Latinos at the same time. We have these, these shared overlaps and then these influences of dishes. So my friend, because I was at home with taking care of my wife on Monday, So this is common for every Filipino. The healthiest Filipino is the caretaker for everybody. So my friends sent me free dinner from Musang, which is Seattle best restaurant of last year. Musang means cats. They're on Beacon Hill. The Musang menu was shiomai, mommy soup, adobo duck. So it was instead of, instead of chicken or pork, it was duck adobo. And then ginger scallion steamed fish. The shiomai was it's basically Filipino version of Chinese dumpling. Mommy soup is chicken broth, duck adobo, vinegar, dark soy sauce. And then duck is obviously a little bit more fatty. Fat content is always high. I would say it's become higher in recent years because pork and beef is it's just big with Filipinos. Then ginger scallion soup with steamed fish in it. Steamed fish, seafood is huge in my family life. I grew up crabbing every week, fishing every week. I lived next to the docks. I have thrown crab nets off of the aquarium waterfront in the middle of the night when you're not supposed to. And also squidding. You can squid year round. And my family used to sell crab and shrimp. We ran a boarding house and along with all of these laborers and fishermen, my family made contacts with local boats. They would bring us fish and live Dungeness crab. And then we would sell it to the rest of the central district Filipinos. They would come to our house and buy pounds of shrimp, frozen shrimp, and then live crabs while it was fresh on the weekends while we were playing Mahjong. So can I get a discount if I mention your name? That's the boarding house is closed. (laughs) I do Mahjong. I do teach Mahjong lessons monthly. If you want to learn how to play Mahjong, you got to bring your own crab. I'll bring the Mahjong. (laughs) So yeah, there's this huge mix. There's this huge mix of all these overlapping flavors and cultural characteristics that encompass Filipino from Spanish American, Asian, South Asian, uh, Latino, what have you. Yeah, I feel like it's hard to do dietary counseling because it's so complex. Counseling, not to make traditional food seem unhealthy, but let's say you get heart disease or diabetes, Devin. What would be a reasonable thing for you to change in those situations? You may not have an answer for this, but I wonder what it looks like for you. My primary care provider told me to cut down on rice and I started laughing in his face so hard. And I was like, do you understand there is a rice cooker on in my house 24 hours a day? And then I think the the other element that I would highly recommend is what are the non-American foods or maybe processed foods that are consuming your diet? When I look at that, 
I, what I think about is when I visit my relatives, what are the foods they're trying to force on me? Whenever I visit a relative, they're like, oh, do you want to take home food to eat? And they'll go into their pantry and give me junk. So the junk they're giving me is shrimp chips, one, Sky Flakes, which is a Filipino cracker, uh, Pandasol, which is Spanish bread, not Spanish, but it's Filipino bread with a Spanish name. So they're giving me all these carbohydrates, right? And then, yeah, those are snacks that exist in Filipino household. Processed carbohydrates are what people are always trying to throw on me whenever I visit. Cookies, sugars, those are things that get added into dishes. Even if you're cooking traditionally, sometimes you'll just throw in sugar just for the heck of it. You're frying noodles. Oh, let's throw in some sugar. Why? You don't need to. One ridiculous thing, I saw someone put raisins in their lumpia egg roll, and I was like, good God. <laughs> so there are these American elements that are getting added into our lives, which are unnecessary. So beyond cutting out rice, it's high in diet. There are external food factors at play that come from this Filipino-American mix. Also yeah. industrialization, like yeah. processed food. Yes, you can make your food with glutamate, MSG, but you don't have to. Yeah, I was thinking about how to approach this topic and my go-to in the past has been how are you changing your food since you've been in America? Yeah. But I like some of the things that you're bringing into. What are your family members? And when you go and visit them, what are they forcing on you? But uh, yeah. the idea of processed foods is so prevalent right now that yeah. you just have it and you're eating it, not even mindfully, because mm -hmm. it's available cheap and in these big stores. And there are so many Filipinos who, and Asians for that matter, who just stockpile food. That's why whenever I visit a relative, they have some kind of packaged food sitting there and they're offering it to me as a parting gift. Vienna sausage. When I married my wife, who's very American, she's like, what the heck's Vienna sausage? Was, yeah, you just eat it with rice and that's a snack. Or I remember one time I was dating somebody and I started boiling hot dogs and I was just eating hot dogs with the rice. What do you mean you eat hot dogs with rice? Are you rolling rice over the hot dog? I was like, no, I'm eating the hot dog as though it's the entree with my side of rice. <laughs> yeah, it makes no sense. To do that. That's a very horrible to say traditional Filipino American dish, hot dogs and rice together. Okay. I think that's a good place to transition. Just a few more questions here. Values is always a hard topic to talk about without stereotyping an entire community, which is quite diverse. But there's a few things that come out when talking about the Filipino community, and these are traditional words, I think. Maybe you can help me explain this idea. Concept of haya, pakisaba, atong nalu. Am I saying, am I saying anything correctly? Here? Uh, no. Two points. Two points. One, you're <laughs> saying Tagalog words. Two, I only know Ilocano, but some of the things you're saying are well-known. So the last term you said was, it's utang na loob. Utang. Mm -hmm. Utang means debt. Yes. Uh, through this discussion, you probably heard, 
I have a debt to be filial and caring for my relatives. So everything in my life revolves around how do I serve or do things for others who have done something for me. And with my grandparents, I have an obligation to go care for them because they cared for me. So I have a debt of care to them. And then the other element in terms of values that is different is the sense of shame. In Ilocano, what you want to avoid is losing faith. Sometimes when you do something, it's so that you have faith. I've heard my relatives say frequently, I can't go do that because I have no face with them. There's a phrase, my face is gone. There are cultural barriers for doing things and not doing things, depending on relationship and level of integrity that someone feels they have. And then also family and age dynamic are very high. So this aspect of hierarchy is very deep. Hierarchy in terms of class, hierarchy in terms of generation, age. Earlier when we were talking about this cultural dynamic between new Filipino Americans and pre-1965 American, there was a culture class there. The new Filipino Americans thumbing their noses at the older Filipino Americans pre-generation and the newer Americans saying, no, in America, we're all equal versus you're bringing in this garbage of, oh, you're just a fisherman. This class dynamic is much more prevalent. So values in terms of values of privilege are something that exists as well. And then I, I would say another thing in terms of values is obviously family relationships important. Obligation to the group is different. So individual obligation is not as important as group obligation. So I've heard one of my relatives outright say, oh, um, I can't say no to those two aunts because they're already doing it together. I have to follow along, um, even if it's bad for you, right? So there are choice dynamics, and this results in life-or-death situations. My father, who had cancer, decided not to have excision surgery because his three sisters and him decided as a group to put it off. So there's this group thing is a value, for better or worse as well. Yeah, I think that's a good point about how it affects healthcare. How should we address it or bring it in now that we know that it exists? I think one thing that I also read was kapwa. That was probably a Tagalog word too. Yeah. They said that was the deeper value informing everything, which is the connectedness. Is that yeah. right? Yeah. It's harder for me to identify with uh, Tagalog words, but the sensibility of connectedness, culturally the same for me as an Ilocano Filipino. And it relates to just doing what's best for the group. How do you feel each other the same way? It relates to this element of simpatico would be another way. It relates to collective consciousness, which is not as normal in American life. So 
The concept of collective consciousness is intellectual for a lot of Americans. In the Philippines, there are groups of people where group behavior is a norm. People know how to respond or act with signaling to each other. There's a common understanding of um, accepted behavior that everyone follows with through feeling. There's an intuitiveness that exists because the collective consciousness is stronger. Yeah, that's beautiful. Last point, I end the podcast with the same question every time, which is, have you had an experience with a clinician, healthcare system that's been especially good in acknowledging your identity as a Ilocano or really been horrible and let you down? Yeah, I already told you about the primary care provider told me to stop eating rice and I just laughed in his face. And then I had a dermatologist. I went there for vitamin D deficiency. I said, your people are more tropical. And then I was like, I've, my family's been here a hundred years. I don't, yeah, I've never lived in a tropical place. It's just been cloudy. Offhand comments or just like dismissing yeah. somebody's individuality, right? But, but besides that, I would say one of the best cultural interactions I've had with a medical provider was actually a nurse for, or a surgeon. And he understood, oh, in order to get to my patient, who is your relative, I need to work through the other relatives. I remember her saying this is like, you need to go tell them this surgery needs to happen. My relatives are the same way. This was a Russian woman who was speaking to me. Just because they don't feel sick, they're not going to do anything about it. And she had this understanding of, I need to activate you to influence the rest of your relatives. Yeah. One thing I think is important to raise in terms of values is acceptance of suffering, which is very different than this American concept of you have to achieve. We're in a meritocracy. You have to have hope. When I think about the traditional Filipino childhood stories that I'm told, they're often extremely morbid. And I think there's this underlying tone of, you must accept the fate. There's a bedtime song my grandma used to sing me. It's about a guy whose wives keep dying on a regular basis. <laughs> and that's the other thing that we're fighting in terms of value is, um, Oh, yeah. Along with that togetherness, we need that togetherness because we're going through such a hard time and it's easier to go through that hard time together. And when there is a hard time, you just have to accept it because at least we have each other. So these two things are culturally present as value, except when things are screwed up, rely on everybody else around you. Even though there may be healthcare solutions that exist. Yeah. That makes sense. I can imagine how that's a source of resilience and strength for the community. At the same time, always be conducive to achieving, let's say, a specific outcome in America. Hey, we do have this surgery. You don't have to accept it's in your body and yeah. ignore it and accept yeah. that the end is near, right? Like we could do something. Thank you, Devin. This has been very informative. I love having you here. And I'll thank you again. Okay.
Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks again, everyone, for joining me on another episode of Healthcare for Humans. If you like this episode, as always, my ask to you is please share it with one other person and go to healthcareforhumans.org to sign up to be part of the community. And lastly, thank you to Tessa Chu and Maharazaki for supporting this podcast, making sure it's the best it can be, and helping with the creation and the production of all parts of this podcast. Thanks again. I'll see you next time.